Clarita here, and I've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. If you want to release your music into the world, DistroKid's the easiest way to get your music into all the major streaming platforms, unlimited uploads, and keep 100% of your royalties. And because you're a Design Freaks listener, you get 30% off. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash Design Freaks. DistroKid. Design Freaks. Uh, this is a show about, it's a podcast about graphic arts, uh, graphic design, artists, and designers in music history, album covers, band logos, etc. I just wanted to say up top that uh, I wanted to say a special goodbye to a friend of the show, Scott Lindbergh, passed away on Sunday. Um, and he was an amazing curator of uh, album covers. He had a great exhibit both at the breaking um non sorry non-breaking space uh gallery and also at the kexp gathering space um where he showed 100 albums by 20 designers um he will be missed i wanted to say check out episode eight of design freaks podcast it's called ronald klein the shape of sound with scott Lindbergh. Um, so Scott and I talk about the shape of sound, his hundred mid-century record cover exhibit featuring 20 designers. Um, plus we, with a focus on Ronald Klein and his origin story as a horror illustrator for Arkham house publishing his time at Columbia and folkways records. He's probably most known for folkways. Um, we also talk about Joseph Albers and, um, Scott's tips for storing records. Uh, it's just it's a really great episode, and it's a it's a way to get to know Scott a little bit. He's donated his collection to Letterform, the Letterform Archive. Um, they're a, no, a nonprofit reference library, and um, it's LetterformArchive.org. I have a couple things to cover before I introduce my guest. Um, I, of course, always want to encourage to subscribe, rate, review, and share. Add to your Insta stories and whatnot. Um, and just wanted to say, oh, so much has happened since the last episode. Uh, I need to just mention that uh, Record Store Day, it was supposed to be Record Store Day, um, and it did not happen. It's been postponed till June, but... Uh, just wanted to encourage to support local record stores. And something I did was I bought tickets to um, two movies that were available through Record Store Day that uh, benefited independent record shops. And I wanted to recommend those documentaries. One is called 
um, Vinyl Nation. And if you like albums and watching how things are made on Mr. Rogers, you'll love it. And then the other documentary is called Other Music about the uh, New York record store. Um, so the, I highly recommend the other music documentary. It's amazing. Try to get your hands on that or your eyeballs on it. Um, they, uh, there's a amazing performance by Gary Wilson. I'm just going to say that it's the best thing I've ever seen. And, um, also that was my birthday too. My birthday was supposed to be on record store day, but this year I had a quarantine senora, so it was still fun. I also wanted to give shouts out to two Instagram uh, accounts that are really fun to follow. Samantha Wendell's account at Deathscum, and it's spelled D-E-T-H-S-C-U-M. Um, she just does amazing poster art, and then her you can get to her website from there, and she does just rad uh, risograph prints, T-shirts, the other one is uh, Andrew Hudson, and I know he does some like hang in there style designs, but they're really, really cool. And his handle is at Andrew Sketch. Um, his letter forms are ridiculous. And uh, yeah, it couldn't hurt to have more uh, beauty in your feed. So I wanted for my thank you section, trying to have sections, I don't know. Uh, I wanted to give a thank you to Ruinous Media this time. Um, I am now partnering. I guess we can talk about this more when I introduce my guest, but I'm now partnering with uh, Ruinous Media. They're a podcast and media production company in Seattle, and uh, we're a group of Northwest storytellers, marketers, and musicians dedicated to having fun and making cool sounds. Straight from the website, ruinousmedia.com. <laughs> Um, so my guest today is the host of, is the founder of Runus Media and the host of Tour Stories, the podcast. He has played drums with lots of bands, uh, Modest Mouse, Cold War Kids, Shins, Magic Magicians, um, has a new album out with Coromandels, Coromandels, um, called Meaningless Chess, and his name rhymes with, with his job, Joe Palmer. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. I wrote in my notes, his name rhymes with his job. Explain that, atheist. Ew. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's not watertight, but um, yeah. so how are you doing? I'm okay. Um... I'm okay. I have been doing kind of, well, I guess I haven't been doing the normal thing, or maybe it's the normal now, but I've been doing, um, instead of the official season two of Tour Stories, I've been doing what I've been calling check-ins and calling mm -hmm. previous guests, future guests or friends, and just seeing what they're up to during the pandemic um, quarantine, see what they're doing with themselves, with their health, with their minds, mm -hmm. with their so, hands. So yeah, you've been, you've been checking in on your friends, um, about their COVID isolations, but what about you and your family? 
What about well, Joey? Oh, yeah. So I, it's a roundabout way of getting that. Is, I guess I've been kind of busy because I've been trying to crank them out. Um, mm-hmm. And we're doing fine. Uh, we're able to, Christina's able to work from home. My son is able to play at home. <laughs> um, Good. We have we homeschool, which is extremely difficult. And oh God, how old is he? What grade? He's going to be six in a few days. So he's in. Oh, kindergarten. that's like he's learning to read. No, okay. Yeah, and he is learning to read. And okay. I mean, if I'm really honest, my honest answer is, it's tough. It's kind of. It's not terrible, but it's extremely tough. It's extremely frustrating. I'm unskilled. Um, I think most people are, a lot of people are unskilled at teaching. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, so it sucks. That's just to Aww. put a real, but the 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 light is that he, um, I'm watching him pronounce words and, okay. you know, add things and actually do it and watch his light bulb go on whoa see yeah. those are things you might be That's missing if you were at school yeah. exactly i mean for reals like mm-hmm. so i love that but man it is hard i mean i might be a baby about it but it's hard i think we're all in our own layers of hell right different different layers of the dip yeah and how are you and how are you doing Oh, um, I am, I'm up and down. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm keeping very busy though. Like you, like you, you know, um, I don't have a kid. I don't, I don't, I have the place to myself. I'm, I'm trying to put a positive spin and not say I'm alone. I'm trying to say I have the place to myself. Um, I do have, I do talk to my friends. My friends, um, drop things off for me. So that's nice. Um, yeah, doing good. Um, I'm lucky I'm able to keep working and yeah, uh, I'm already, I already do indoor stuff, graphic design and podcasting. So I haven't really, right. I mean, my layer of hell is not that bad. <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, touring is out. I know. Right I was going to ask, where would you be on tour right now? Uh, I would actually, we, I haven't crossed over to the the zone or the realm of not touring yet. It was supposed to start. I think it was supposed to start May 15th. Mm -hmm. And we were supposed to go to Mexico, which I love Mexico. Yeah. I love touring. Um, Wait, what, which band is this? This was, this is Cold War Kids. Okay. And so is there a new record? Yes. Yeah. uh, Let's see. Well, there's three new. There's the newest release is going to be three volumes. Volume one is out. It's called New Age Norms. Volume one. Mm -hmm. Volume two is done and a single is out, which I love. And the rest of the record, I believe, comes out in June or July, but I'm not quite sure. Okay. you know, it's kind of pending, and I think people are trying to decide what's the best move, when, why, yeah. mm-hmm. save it, don't save it. 
all of these things. So well, that's what I'm wondering what's going on with all the record releases tied to record store right. day. Um, there's a lot of releases that are getting pushed. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I don't know. I, it's really, it's a really big thought for me as to we released a Cormandel's record. When did we release it on Bandcamp? Uh, two weeks ago, a week ago. And that was kind of, Daniel just called me and Matt, the bass player, and just on a whim mm-hmm. was like. Yeah. And explain who the members are. It is Daniel Mitchkoff, who is the bass player and one of three singers in the Tijuana Panthers. And. Matt Most, who is the bass player, founding member of Cold War Kids, and myself. Um, Daniel plays guitar and sings in the Cora Mandels. Matt and I stick with our rhythm section duties. And um, it's It's a really fun band. We haven't played a show yet, but we have two records out now. Mm -hmm. Matt Most has designed both covers. Oh, they're uh, so different from each other. That's interesting. I know. Yeah. Yeah, and the last one with the the little guys is the cute little guys was a real surprise. Very cute. Um yeah. I really like that new one. Go to Bandcamp and find it cuz it's really weird and um the songs are all pretty different from each other. I really like it. Thanks. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good mix of all kinds of stuff. <laughs> up top the other music documentary had you seen that yet i haven't seen it yet i haven't had time to watch as much tv as i want yeah because of the schedule of working and and child care etc but well, you know oh well. tv is overrated but great documentaries are worth yeah making time for i was able to see ozark oh man don't get me into my ruth impression Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, Marty. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I, can, I can go all day long as Ruth, but I won't. Okay. I won't do it. 
I'm sure I, I could figure out a Ruth setting on my. Marty. So I wanted to ask some questions about records. And first of all, I think you're always asking the questions. So I wanted to ask you, um, people probably want to know a little bit about your taste and what was the first record that you kind of, I know you've like art directed your own releases and obviously you've come up with ideas for record covers, but what was the first record cover that you stared at that you were fascinated by? Um, it's interesting considering this podcast is largely about design. Um, <laughs> it's a very designy record cover that I really did stare at a lot when I was a little kid. Um, and it's Credence Gold, which is a best of. Um, I'm holding it. I'm looking at it. And it's got a die-cut silhouettes of each band member. And then on the stacked on top of each other. So you open it like a book, I think, is the best way to describe it. Um, so they kind of fan out on the front, across the front of the record. So the first one you open, it's on the far left, Tom Fogarty, Stu Cook. And you open it, and there's a picture of Stu Cook. But it's Stu Cook's silhouette. Then Doug Clifford, greatest drummer in the world, one of them. Oh, wow. Silhouette. Okay. His beard is silhouetted, FYI. Um, <laughs> and but it's just a strange. So I went through. I mean, it may have. It may be why I like record covers, and I think it probably has some root in the way I feel about design and record covers because mm -hmm. I went through phases of staring at it first. Very young, I don't know, five, six. They are like creepiest hippies on the back. They're so <laughs> creepy looking. And I stared at that forever and like their boots and their ponchos and their flannels and their satin. I don't know what that is. It's kind of, a, I don't know what I would call that. Um, so I stared at their clothes and then they're, they're sitting in front of an on top of an old car. Um, and I just stared at it. They look crazy to me. They still look crazy to me. They look like, you know, people your parents warned you about when you were growing up in the late 70s and 80s. Yeah. If they had tried to talk to you, would you have run? <laughs> yeah, you would have. <laughs> and um, so I looked a lot at that. And then again, if you open the die-cut silhouettes, there's a picture of each member playing their instrument mm -hmm. uh, and Doug Clifford drummer is featured uh, at his drum set and you can see his hi-hat and he's sweating and his muscles are out and <laughs> he's got a traditional grip um, anyways so I, I looked at all the, the people for a long time and that really interested me and then at one point I flipped it over to the front mm -hmm. and it's just it's one two, it's five colors orange red green purple and blue um, and it's very tight and it's not hippy dippy. It's not like flowery or, you know, with the die cut and the silhouettes, it's a very tight design and it's, mm -hmm. I love it. It's like and two I, different styles. Yeah. It really is. Um, 
Yeah. So I stare at this record I like that, a lot. Uh, and listen to Sarah. it, of course. Uh huh. Yeah. Now I'm looking at the back. So they're leaning on a Rolls Royce. That. Yeah, me. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> a beat up Rolls Royce, which is. <laughs> they, cool. It looks like a cult, folks. I mean. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. They just look like 70s people, but I like the He-Man haircut in yeah. the back. <laughs> I know. I mean, um, good God. And the, yeah. But the Guys with curly def- hair straightening their hair. Oh. Right? Everyone. Yeah. But, everyone uh-huh. has curly but straightened hair. Uh, also, pe- men got perms back then. Yeah, my dad got a perm. My dad oh, and really? his friend used to have they would have perm parties. What? Yeah. All the really? dudes would get perms. Were you in the Brady Bunch? <laughs> kind of. Wow. Wait. So that smell, like, the wait, they would give each other perms or they would just... It would be like a party with, you know, <laughs> six, eight adults. No, I don't. The wives would give the... Oh, okay. Yeah, like a cocktail, like a party. Got with it. Kids running around, very, very ice storm without the key party part of it, but oh, very like, okay. you know, groovy. Nineteen eighty one party. <laughs> so there might be some fondue hanging around. Oh, perfect! Nail on the head. <laughs> oh man, um, wow! Please write an email in if your dad also had a perm pretty fascinating so so credence was kind of like so is that when you figured out you wanted to be a drummer when you heard him drumming or yeah that was one of the that was one of them you can hear his drums really well on that record and i think the extended version of suzy q is on here yeah it's the, the eight, eight minute. minute yeah yeah mm-hmm. and it's um gets crazy in the back in the end oh yeah yeah, it gets really weird, and they drop in these ghosty backing vocals, but you can hear the drums really well, and you're kind of mesmerized by him because he's he's just doing a repetitive beat over and over again. They also do an 11-minute version of I Heard It Through the Grapevine on this record. <laughs> yeah, more jamming. <laughs> it's really mellow jamming, too. It's just kind of... yeah. This album was yeah. packed with hits. It's just like Proud Mary, Down on the Corner... Yeah, it's Bad just Moon hits, Rising, it's all of them. I think you should copy everything for for something for Coromandels or something with the die cuts and everything. Just redo yeah. it. Just and put a beard on there. Just go to town. Yeah, and I don't know who was designing record. I don't know if it says who. It, a, it was the label. Yeah, it wasn't in house. Yeah. Yeah, I looked it up. It was um, I and I went down a rabbit hole of fantasy records. By the way. Mm-hmm. Because it was the Credence Band Manager's label. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so that was that guy was a character. This record was three dollars and eighty-seven cents. By the way, the price tag still a lot of money. <laughs> that seems like a lot of money. Yeah, for back then. Yeah, that was like probably. I mean, no, because then we're just paying the same amount for records. I was about to say, maybe this isn't the copy my dad had, but it I just opened it and it says plumber on it. 
the most influential record from your formative years? Like after you, you know, kind of got inspired, you wanted to be a drummer, then what kind of formed your taste? Um, Sound-wise? Yeah, I you think mean, so. Style yeah. or... Well, there's a few. Of course, it's not just one, but... um. You know, one thing I always forget, but because it's so, it just permeates my, myself, mm-hmm. is um, Fugazi, Brendan Canty, drummer. Mm. Um, just, yeah. Um, but PIL's Flowers of Romance was mm. a very pivotal record for me. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a lot of... I was listening to everything by the time I got got a hold of the PIL record. I mean, I I think that was, was nineteen, and I had listened to PIL. It's, it's I have a weird history with PIL because I liked mm-hmm. it chronologically. I liked PIL because I thought the PIL was the Sex Pistols, <laughs> and um, and then. I liked PIL because of a magazine I saw featuring Johnny in a photo shoot um, in his blue suit and all generic products, etc. like album. Um, but then I listened to Flowers of Romance when I was probably 19, uh, maybe 20, 19. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a real drummer record. I love that record so much. Um, and it's so spacious and it mm-hmm. it kind of formed how I don't I don't listen to music as as harsh as that maybe anymore, but I listen to music as spacious as that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think but, that influenced me. The drums are aggressive on that. I'll on have that to re- re-listen to that with a drum perspective because that's kind of one of the albums that I overlooked. I went straight from the metal box to this is what you want. This is what you need. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, that's a great song too. But yeah, so I skip. I kind of skipped that record altogether. That and the boringest answer ever, Led Zeppelin. Um, As far as drumming goes, yeah. I mean, Minutemen. Oh yeah, George Hurley. George Hurley was a big, big influence on me. Yeah. And in Firehose, because I got to see Firehose a lot mm-hmm. when I was about 14. Yeah, I missed, they toured with Primus and Fishbone. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that tour. I know. <laughs> I saw all of those bands a lot because I lived in the Bay Area before I moved to Seattle. Oh, awesome. Had a trusted, my parents trusted this guy who was very trustworthy. Um, he was like a senior in high school and I was a, freshman or something you know he was like he at least had a license and I was 14 or 15 and my parents liked him and my parents were pretty strict but they let him take me to Gilman Street and to Berkeley um, when I lived in the East Bay so I got to see a lot of crazy crazy shows when did you okay so did John did Johnny Lydon get you into dub or was he influential with discovering reggae and dub? Yeah. Uh, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. But once I read a little bit about 
the transition from the Sex Pistols to PIL, um, I I I've, I had read a lot. I haven't read much lately because I just kind of exhausted it. But the first thing I learned about how I learned about Dub was from two sources. John Lydon, an article I read about him, mm-hmm. in which on the Sex Pistols tour, he kind of isolated himself on the last one, apparently. Uh, he isolated himself and just listened to Dub and reggae on his headphones. And I remember reading that and knowing what reggae was mm-hmm. and kind of wondering what Dub was. And then somehow, I, God, I don't know how. I th- Oh, then I had a friend who explained to me what he thought Dub was <laughs> and Ska. Oh. And, um, and then I think he played me like some, not necessarily Dub, some reggae stuff that kind of dubbed out on B-side. And... Uh, it could have been as crazy commercial as like UB40 dub or something. Mm-hmm. But um, that's how I learned about it. It was, I was, it all started with, with whatever John Lydon was listening, or Johnny Rotten for mm-hmm. sure to me back then, um, was listening to. I mean, that's pretty punk actually, that he kind of like rebelled against the group. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and and likewise, I'm sure the Clash kind of turned a lot of British kids onto to dub because they did all those, like you said, the B sides. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you remember like specific artists from back then, or who who are you listening to now as far as dub and reggae? Um, I remember the, the the thing that I felt like I first discovered was. Uh, Ja Thomas, who is a producer and primarily a dub producer, I think. That's what he's at least known for. I don't know about any of his earlier stuff. Um, And um, Super Ape, of course, and Heavy Metal Dub. These were all things that I started discovering around 1920. And Abraham Records, which I still can't tell if it's an actual record label or just a stamp that a few (laughs) Jamaicans and British people have and they stick it on their record. Um, But it was largely, um, yeah, King Tubby, Jaw Thomas, Scientist, all of the kind of the heavy hitters at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing a or finding a Tristan Palma record, and I just got it because it it was the weirdest, baddest photograph of Tristan. Mm-hmm. He looks like a young boy or young girl in the photo, and I, I think he kind of he looks both female and young and male. Or male, female, and young. He's like kind of forever looked like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just a weird, it was a washed out, dumb cover, kind of blurry. And I bought it, and it's like one of the best records I've ever purchased, mostly because I thought, you know, when you find a record 
and you buy it on a whim and it's really good, you feel like a real hero to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> there should and be a word that, for that. <laughs> and that was a Jaw Thomas record, and I didn't even know it for a while. You know, it's like printed red on red and you can't read it, you know, stuff like that. And then finally, I'm just like in the right light. I'm just listening to it and like, oh, this is a Jaw Thomas record. Cool. I don't know this. I'll have to, I'm like definitely going to look all this up. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as far, I really love all of those, those dub record covers, especially heavy metal dub, uh, as we talked about a while ago. Yeah. I, it's just, I, I made a record called Robot Horse, mm -hmm. and it was at a time where it only made sense to make CDs, but I put a lot of effort into the art, mm -hmm. uh, or at least designing the art, and then my friend Zach Sally actually drew it. Okay. And I ha I just sent him heavy metal dub and scientist uh, record covers and... Um, all of those very crude, cartoony <laughs> record I'm, covers, I'm which are so incredible. They're incredible. I'm looking at Heavy Metal Dub right now. It's insane. It, and it reminds me of uh, Pedro Bell a little bit. Um, just like kind of galact galactic African. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Funkadelic artist. Um, yeah. Just in a galactic way, but... Um, but I, I would love, I want to look up now Zach Sally because his style is, is comic-ish, but. Yeah, comic, well, he's a comic book artist. Um, and I had him, we have a pretty good rapport. Like we can send like one-liners back and forth to each other, text, and we'll both laugh at them. You know, or just little bits of information. That's kind of how we communicate. And so I sent him a Polaroid of me holding a basketball and probably a picture of heavy metal dub or some other Godzilla dub record or something. And I just said, can you make me a record cover called Robot Hor the West oh, Coast Robot I, Horse? Oh, my God. It's amazing. And he did it. <laughs> he fulfilled that request. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's the it's best. It's so good. And he's the Tour Stories artist. So if you've ever yeah. seen his work on the Instagram or whatever, it's so good. Back to PIL. See, that's mm -hmm. that's the other interesting thing about PIL is that that band permeated my life in, in different weird times and went in and out. And, you know, like I listened to the first record or I probably bought a T-shirt of the first record before I heard a note of the first record. You know, I was mm -hmm. probably like 11 years old because you could buy it at the mall back then or, or like Spencer's or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I listened to the first record and I and it was like the Sex Pistols. So that was satisfying. Side one is like a Sex Pistols mm -hmm. record. And then um, skipped over second edition. Mm-hmm which I think is the second record. Yeah, and, that's the metal box, right? Yeah. That's also issued as with a regular cover as well. <laughs> right, and I probably was just getting into other music, um, and that was too, I don't know, too art. That's pretty arty for a young person, mm -hmm. like a 14-year-old. I mean, I had songs but, about socialism and stuff. Like, it's not really <laughs> yeah. fun music. So, <laughs> Right, and it wasn't as in your face as you know the Sex Pistols style of the first one. And, mm -hmm. 
Anyways. So at one point, I was in a grocery store. I was young. I don't know when um, album was released, but it was when it was released. And I, my mom was shopping, and I was in the magazine section, and I opened the rock magazine. And there, well, Johnny was on the front, and there was a photo sh- in in his blue suit with his perf his great, with his perfectly orange hair. Oh I'll say God, that yeah. his hair. I love the color of that hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was on the cover in his light blue suit, and I opened up, and there's an entire like five page photo shoot interview with him with popcorn. All generic popcorn, chips, crispy rice. Beer. He's drinking beer, crispy rice. <laughs> yeah, and it's like yeah. it seemed like it was a hundred pages back then because I just poured over it, didn't read a lick of it. I was just like, man, I love. There's something about this minimalness, and you know that was one of the first ideas of. I know that wasn't the record cover, but it was representing the record cover of kind of design that I really like made yeah. sense to me, I, I guess. And, it, and this is hindsight and I may be, you know, changing history a little bit, but it definitely turned a key for me. And I still love the concept of album. Yeah. The PIL album. album. It's still strong. I, yeah. Yeah, I um and I had never seen anything like that before and it just stands up for me. So and I never have really looked into what that was all about. Well, um enough. I I just texted you two photos. One is of I think what he was parodying, which was the Ralph's cuz those um that particular style of generic, there were a few different types. There was the stark yeah. black on white. There was this blue and white, which I believe was from some a store called Ralph's. That became oh okay. It was regional American, not British. I think it was a oh was it British? It must have been. I British. think I've seen. Well, I've seen the beer. I think in mm-hmm. the states. Well, the beer we had, I thought, was, our beer beer was just black and white. I think was it? I don't remember. This yeah. was specific to them, so I just sent you what I think he was parodying. And, I see. And and then the photo of him where he's on generic cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but there's also a Canadian line called No Name, and it's yellow and black. And that's Ooh. where the Flipper album came from. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there's a, about a whole, the flipper. there's a whole line of yellow and black, and that's why their idea of this is generic, because I think it was in California, too. I'm not sure. But um, I'm going to post photos of all this stuff where there's like, but the yellow had sometimes a photo of the food on it. So the apple juice had apple or apple drink. Um, yeah. Black on yellow and then just a full color apple there. Like, wait, if you're printing full color. <laughs> yeah. <wait a> minute. <laughs> I know. That is funny. Uh, but yeah. So Ted Falcone from, from uh, Flipper kind of used that as like a concept album. Um, uh-huh. kind of like anti-marketing marketing, um, a way yeah. to stand out. Um, and he grew up on the East coast. Uh, I don't know much about Pittsburgh, but, um, anyway, what, what I should do though, is I should come back to this because I really want to go in the order of how they got to album. Yeah. 
And, um, but it does tie in because, okay. So when in the very beginning, that first record, yeah. How did, yeah, let's, so how did they get, yeah. How, what, where did that concept come from? So the first record, if you notice, looks like a magazine cover and that one's called, is it first issue? First edition. It might be first. It might be first issue. You're right. No, I keep, uh, first issue yeah so it's supposed to look like a magazine cover and that's because the person who took the photo and designed it was dennis morris who took photos for magazines and anyway he just seems super cool his origin story is so interesting so he started his career at an early age in fact he was 11 years old when one of his photos was printed on the front page of the Daily Mirror. <laughs> um, Whoa. Yeah. So child labor laws, anyone? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he had a camera. He just was one of those kids that was like obsessed with one thing. And he had this camera and he had it since the age of eight. So by the time he was 11, he was like taking legit photos and he would walk around his East End neighborhood in London Um, And people knew him as Mad Dennis because he wasn't into football or soccer. Um, And he only cared about, uh, I guess, photography. Um, So people thought he was crazy. And then he kind of stumbled across a uh, demonstration by the PLO, which I believe is a Palestinian group, um, if I'm not looking up the wrong PLO. Um, But he took photos and then he took his film to get developed and that developer on Fleet Street sold it to the Daily Mirror for sixteen oh, wow. pounds. So and exploitation. This was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but somehow um, he just kind of—I guess they credited him though—and so then he started realizing that he could do this for a living. Started taking photos of christenings and birthday parties, and it turned from a hobby to like this sort of passion that he could, you know, it could be a career. So he then becomes obsessed with Bob Marley when he's a little bit older, he's around 15 or 16. And so he kind of uh, hangs around the the sound check at the speakeasy club on Margaret Street. And he, Bob Marley started just taking, um, took a liking to him. He actually invited a teenage dentist to come along with Bob Marley and the Whalers on tour. So he got to go uh, to, it says here, running home to Dalston, Dennis packed his bag and jumped on the bus. Bye, Mom. (laughs) Yeah. See ya. I'm going with, (laughs) yeah, I'm going with the reggae band on the road. Yeah. What could go wrong? No, but yeah. So he he took these amazing photos of Bob Marley and the Whalers, of course, on that tour, became completely famous, um, appearing on the cover of Time Out and Melody Maker. These are probably big publications across the pond uh, before he even turned 17. So then the photos of Bob Marley are what caught the eye of Johnny Rotten at the time. So, oh, okay. Yeah, because he was a reggae fan and he had seen these photos and then he requested that Dennis start taking the official photos of the Sex Pistols when when they signed a virgin. 
Um, okay. Uh, so still in his teens, Dennis was the same age as the Pistols. So they all got along. They were all young. And um, so for a year, he trailed the band, taking hundreds of undisputed classic shots of the band. Um, he was the only photographer to put the Sex Pistols fully at ease in front of the lens. Um, and then that work established their public image. Get it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so totally. He, he became one of the, so they had a symbiotic uh, kind of rise to the top together. They yeah. helped each other out. Yeah. Are they still and mates? So, I they wonder. were mates. Are they still? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Uh, Dennis, right in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when the pistols split, uh, it was Dennis who accompanied John Lydon and Richard Branson, founder of Virgin Records, on holiday to Jamaica. So John Lydon leaves the Sex Pistols. He's like, I'm going to Jamaica. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. Which, yeah, which makes sense. He was like, he'd been sitting on the bus listening to dub. Right. Yeah. So then uh, Dennis says, all three of us got on the plane and arrived in Kingston. Oh, so then it goes kind of on and on about Dennis's trajectory, how he took a job as art director at Island Records, and he actually signed the slits. And LKJ, who's a dub poet. Yeah. Um, Lytton Quasi yeah. Johnson. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he's great. I have his record. I brought his record with me. Oh, you have his record. It's sitting oh. in front of me. I brought it as a reference. You did bring it? Yeah, it's, I have it right here. Oh, cool. Yeah, Dennis uh, signed him. That's so weird. Yeah, I brought uh, in concert with the dub band. Oh, nice. We'll post a photo. Yeah, I will. He, oh, so at the time they're working together, he comes up with the logo uh, for PIL. So, of course, because Dennis created Sex Pistols' public image, they come up with that name and then the logo to kind of look like, like instead of a band, it's a company um, as sort of a mm -hmm. statement. And because the initials PIL uh, become sort of a pill, I think that it all kind of came together um, yeah. with the, the, yeah, the logo he came up with looking like with the center, like being like the sort of, what is that called? The little divot in the middle of a pill? I don't know what that's called. Yeah. The part where you break it in half. I don't know. Um, so that's kind of what they were going for was kind of like corporate logo slash uh, pill. Um, and then also sort of the beginning of a whole brand. But back then you didn't really use the term brand. They kind of used the term image. I, you know, British use the English language different than us. They use it differently. They use it properly. <laughs> I used to have a game when I was in England on tour that I we would make up words that we thought the Brits would <gasps> use. Oh, my God. Like what? I can only remember two off the top of my head. And I made these up. A lighter. We, we thought the British might use the word glow. 
So, like, have <laughs> like you got a, a glow? <laughs> got a glow. Have you got a glow? <laughs> or, um, what was it? A sleeping bag. We thought they might call it a soft tube. <laughs> soft Not necessarily tube. making it more efficient. No, but just... no, no. no. <laughs> Soft a soft tube. <laughs> I think that could catch on if we just pretend. <laughs> and this is a full circle situation here that you've just told me. Dennis Morris and John Lydon. Um, I mean, the one thing that ties it all together, which is interesting, which mm-hmm. is kind of similar to why I like certain why I made a dub kind of style record is they were both in, you know, they were both interested in, in reggae Mm -hmm. and Jamaican music. And, um, you know, PIL is the furthest from, especially second edition and, and flowers of romance are pretty far from Jamaican music, but stylistically, um, I guess maybe bass, influenced it but yeah it just seems like the circle of you know john and johnny those two growing up together and seems like maybe separately uh experienced reggae one with bob marley and one with probably Leiden, just east london discovering dub mm-hmm. and reggae on his own you know came stayed together and then you know started designing or I, I guess not together but um, it, it just seems like to me there's this Jamaican music has permeated this ideology of those two and designing stuff together right um, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense it um, does and he, he yeah. was simultaneously designing for other people, but he also had that band Basement Five. Oh. With uh, Richard Dudansky on drums, speaking of drummers. I don't know if I know this band. He drummed for the Raincoats Mm. um, and PIL. And Basement Five was like an anti-Thatcher kind of band. I feel like I need a kind of scoot through this stuff um he was instrumental in defining pil's visual identity kind of like a barney bubbles where he was like the fifth beetle for the band sort of working for them establishing their their whole like a cross-platform brand like print not digital but print like uh merch everything albums um uh style wise um and originally uh so he he actually uh, was instrumental in masterminding the band's limited edition metal box album, which was housed in an embossed film canister, um, and which is highly collectible because I guess a lot of people over the years use them as ashtrays. Oh, really? <laughs> so there's not a lot of original uh, the metal box albums left. Yeah, and I have then, a friend who just got uh, one probably in really couple years. Yeah, a round one. Yeah, it's a because rusty. Oh, that's awesome. I wouldn't mind Rust. No, it's cool. Um, Yeah, because there was a reissue square metal box. And then there was later a gatefold edition. Yeah. Um, 
And I just yeah. have, yeah, I just have second edition or whatever. I just mm-hmm. have. That photo is cool, though. I like that cover. Yeah, it is. Uh, so he he was really good at uh, collecting, quote, collecting Leiden's ideas and translating them into to visuals. So he mm-hmm. had that unique, they had that good communication Yeah. where, where they, Leiden could easily, and as a designer, it's so difficult to know what, someone's thinking or what they really want. You really have to know them well. Um, and so that's a really intimate process. Um, his first artwork for the band was for this uh, public image single, which came wrapped in a folded sheet of newspaper uh, that borrowed on the visual language of of red top tabloids. That's an English... I guess they wrapped them in paper to... Yeah. I think I've stuff. seen that. I think I've seen an image... Of that, I haven't. I yeah, I've seen like up. a fake. Yeah, I've seen guess, maybe a single of you know someone photographed it and made a kind of a glossy version of it. I think I've seen. Uh, that. Yeah. Well, I guess it was not. It was only conceptual. It wasn't successful because it was like really flimsy. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, let's see. So he was kind of making a splash with them conceptually. Um, so yeah, so he did, and I don't know who designed getting t- up to the era of the generic album. Yeah, I don't. Th- I think that was just like, you know, art directed by Johnny. Oh. I don't think Dennis like sat there and like laid out the Helvetica. And <laughs> right. You know, they probably had their in-house person kind of follow through on that. But if not, please correct me if you know, because I can <laughs> find out who exactly. The designer was, It's to me, it's more of a concept. Yeah, uh-huh. right. I mean, I couldn't do it, but I think most <laughs> people could. Yeah, I mean, it, again, you're, you're, you're taking the idea of those products at Ralph's and you're going like, well, I'm on this record label. I'm creating a product. I'm selling volumes of this product. It, you know, it's a measurable thing. It's connected to money and it's reasonable to, you know, come to that conclusion, I guess. Um, And he, of course, made the cassette version, the compact disc poster. There's even a a ticket stub with uh, the tour with Pete Shelley that I'll post. Oh, Uh, yeah. Wow. In 1985. Yeah, Yeah, in 85. And then later they did an MP3, a digital MP3 uh, graphic. Mm-hmm. So kind of funny. I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty obvious statement. Um, yeah. You don't really need to get that much into. But what I wanted to talk about a little bit was how uh, that sort of exact same product line mm-hmm. was used in the movie Repo Man. And that PIL and Repo Man are so – they were not on the soundtrack. But there's so – people just always associate that. Oh. Those two things. Yeah. Because of the, uh, you're not spacing the peaches scene. <laughs> right. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, if you watch that scene in the grocery store, not only is, okay, so you got Emilio Estevez, and I just want to talk about this because a lot of people don't know this, that, and this is his name in the movie. The character's name is Kevin the Nerd. Um, Kevin the Nerd was played by Xander Schloss. He played bass for Circle Jerks, who were on the soundtrack. 
Um, and that character was also the inspiration for Napoleon Dynamite. Um, wow. And that, yeah, Zand, Xander Schloss. That <laughs> makes perfect fucking sense. That's funny. I wasn't singing, guy. I can see them both. Yeah. Immediately in my head. Exactly. Um, and he also played for one of my other favorite L.A. punk bands, The Weirdos. Oh, he did? I uh, didn't know that. He was also in The Weirdos. He was in a few other bands, too. And The Circle Jerks were are, were supposed to be on tour. They were going to be playing Burger Boogaloo, um, hosted by John Waters in June or July. And yeah. now it's postponed till Halloween. But wouldn't oh, it man. be funny if we all dressed as Kevin the Nerd? To go see Circle Jerks. Uh, is he still in the jerk? Is he still He's in the band? still in the lineup. Yes. That's <laughs> cool. This is what I'm fantasizing about in quarantine. Man, that is that's great. <laughs> also, he plays the character in the other Alex Cox movie, Straight to Hell. He plays the Sausage Boy. Is um, Straight so. to Hell is Courtney Love in Straight to Hell? She is. Yeah, and Joe Strummer and, and Joe Strummer. Uh, yeah. Uh, who's the Irish Shane McGowan? Yeah. Still so, alive. Wow. Good for him. Feeling lucky seven. Kevin, stop singing. Seven. Seven. Huh? What's a singing guy? Um, there's some sort of weird connection between generic products and 1980s dystopia because, and speaking of weird uh, disfigurements, the They Live movie. Another. Oh. Why were all the products generic? Was it just because it was cheaper to film that? or? Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if that's why they did it in all the movies. They probably did that it, in all the movies. Is it in because... all the movies? No, I mean, not. I'm sorry. Every time they did it in movies. Oh, low it budge. It was to save on the budge. Okay. But doesn't well, it mean... But wouldn't Coke pay you to use their products? Yeah, that was before so product placement. Yeah. But also, that's funny you should say that because um, the Suicidal Tendencies video for Institutionalized, which that was on the Repo Man soundtrack, yep. there is a nod to the Repo Man world where he opens the cabinet and everything's generic except for Pepsi. <laughs> so punk. Wow. Because <laughs> that's all he wanted. Um, yeah, so I mean, that was kind of like, I, I remember that and I remember there's also a shirt that says t-shirt. Um, and I once saw a guy, there's someone with an Instagram account, I need to find him, who has collected every item. Oh, really? Yeah, That's including, neat. and there's a photo of him somewhere of him wearing the shirt surrounded by all the things. It looks like the Johnny Lydon photo. So, yeah, I guess consumer commentary. Um, and then, yeah, going back to Flipper, that was the yellow and black version. Um, and there's something weird about Flipper that they didn't fit in. And I kind of think that they were low-key grunge. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I know a quote-unquote grunge band called the Melvins. Mm-hmm. They love Flipper. They're oh, yeah. all about Flipper. They're covered. They've covered Flipper forever. They're like who doesn't love the, Flipper? Yeah. Well, they're an acquired taste a little bit. 
Yeah, it's well, they fit. They're very, 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 very punk, but their music is very. It's it's grungy. It's sludgier, it's heavier, yeah. and sludgier, and you can't pogo to it as much <laughs> as easily. No, uh, but they're from a pogo era. That's what you do when you're DJing a punk radio show to use the bathroom. You put on a flipper song. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's the longest that's punk right. songs. Right. <laughs> Just a hot tip. Um, so yeah, so they could be the precursor to grunge. I would say yeah. definitely a lot of great concept in their design of their albums. They broke a lot of ground, um, and and even PIL references them in the generic album Wikipedia. So there's no question really? that that's where the idea came from. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Wow. Because they came out four years earlier. So yeah, it says on the um, on the album Wikipedia. In 1982, Flipper, a punk band from San Francisco, had released an album with the same concept and near-identical name, Album, um, a pastiche of generic products manufactured for Lucky Store's supermarket chain, black lettering over yellow ground. Okay, so that explains where it came from. Later in 86, Flipper uh, retaliated by releasing a live album entitled Public Flipper Limited Live. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's awesome that this is that on is the awesome. PIL Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So then, of course, PIL's big hit single, Rise, is on their generic album. So it's like their thing just takes off. Yeah. But, yeah. And that's, there you have it. All right. <laughs> the history of... A lot of things. A lot of stuff. We've been talking for a long time. Um, let's see. We're now an hour 16. Oh, that's not too bad. Um, is there anything else that we forgot to cover that you want to talk about? Um, well, I mean, I could talk forever about record yeah. covers. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Tell me something current that you want to talk um, about. Current. I did bring some records. Uh, sometimes current is only sometimes current is only current to me. New to you? Um, yeah, new to me. I'm sorry. Sometimes current is only is just new stuff to me. Like for example, um, this record, this record I just got in the mail. I can't remember if I got this. From, I got it from Mississippi Records. Nice. Imahoy Senge Mariam. Gwebru, which is an Ethiopian uh, singer. I'm sure Mm -hmm. I butchered her name. She was a, I think she was a nun, Christian nun. Wow. She was, uh, and she wrote all these spiritual ballads, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. and hymns. And it's just piano. And it's just like the most pleasant thing ever to listen to. Just incredible. Um, and the cover of it is, it looks like it's gold and purple. It looks like wallpaper. Ooh. It's shiny, metallic. You know, the the gold is mm-hmm. um, shiny and the purple is really high gloss and bright. It's very cool. It's a little bit like... Um, over the top seventies wallpaper, but it doesn't look campy or goofy on her record mm-hmm. because 
she's a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. what I've been listening to. And then, of course, uh, one of my favorite record designs of a long for the last five years or so, I'd say, is the um, Escapism record, which is it's called Escapism: The Lost Record, which is Ian Savonius's project or band and um it's just text and i can read it real fast all it says yeah. on the cover is escapism the lost record then it says in giant bold words hi i'm the lost record i'm not lost as much as unloved and then on the back it says hi i'm the lost record over and over again on the i back. love it black and, and yeah. white text only uh it's it's a fucking great record too i just love the use of type on this and i love that square period um there's also another yellow version that says escapism a bunch of times but eliminating a letter each time i love that play with typography yeah and so uh, that 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 record i've been listening I mean, I got it a few years ago. I just kind of cracked it open again. My kid actually likes it. All. He likes listening to it, and it's oh, it's fun rock and roll music, minimal rock and roll '60s influenced music. Um, and I just started listening to the Amanaz, the Zimbabwean psych record it's called Africa, or maybe it's called Amanaz Africa. Or maybe it's called Africa Amanaz. I've never actually known. Mm-hmm. But it is one of my favorite records ever. Like for real, wonderful psych record. I could just play forever. And I think I just stopped listening to it probably a year ago because it's all I listened to for months. I'm not a aficionado, but I can hip you to some cool stuff. Aren't the Gozi a- family is a good one. Okay, but aren't you an ethnomusicologist? <laughs> Uh, I studied it. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I, I've never been paid to be an ethnomusicologist. Well, that's okay. I think you're versed. I think but you I could. I studied that in college. You could uh, yes. make a good list uh, yeah. of stuff that you like. You like African Highland stuff. I do. I don't not. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love it. I don't listen to it as much. Mm-hmm. But I like. I like Zimbabwean rock. It's always the mm-hmm. gnarliest sounding and f- funnest groove. Um, the Psychedelic Aliens is a great Oh, I love that. African. Yeah. I brought that around is because I completely 97% ripped off the Amanaz record for my drum record. <laughs> it's exactly the same. And if you go out and buy both of them and put them next to each other. You'll see what I'm talking about. I was going to bring up Francis Bebe. Do you know oh, that? man. So my good. intro music to my check-in is me playing drums over a Francis Baby song. And then, uh, and the, yeah, so I covered, I copied that, and I did want to do a quick shout-out to Tim Kerr, who the front is photographs, and Tim Kerr, one of my favorite people for every reason, did a drawing of the photographs on the front. Mm-hmm. for the back so it mirrors the back but it's a tim kerr drawing and it's oh he gorgeous. did the drawing on the back yeah so oh, if you fabulous yeah someone took the photographs and then the, the mirror image is the yeah very it's good tim well kerr's as drawing. an austinite i will i approve this message <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it is uh, strikingly similar to the yeah. to the other record but it's it's an homage 
And I yes. just love that whimsical Mexican restaurant font. <laughs> yes. That's well, really I think great. it's Thai. My, yeah, what is the it? Bass I think the bass player for Cold War Kids found it for me. Or I mm -hmm. saw it. He's a real f fontist. Is that a word? Ooh. He likes fonts. It is he now. Designs, he designs record covers. He knows. It. He's kind of got fonts in his back pocket. I think so it's he'll Fontanelle. See it. He's a Fontanelle. Oh, my God. <laughs> Solo project. Um, he helped me find it, and he always we spend a lot of time together when we tour, and he always points it out. He always says, that's a Hugh Time font. It's barely different than the Africa on the Amanaz record, but it is different. Wanted to let it. I wanted. I wanted to come clean on my record cover design. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's cute. Oh, I love it. Now I'm looking at it again, and I love the font that Amanaz is in too. Yeah. That's great. Um. Yeah. I just. I only know that one song. I need to buy it on vinyl. I'm. Um, but, oh, there's another African band called Witch. Do you know them? Mm-hmm. There's so many bands named Witch. Yeah. It's hard to look them up, but it's, they're from Africa. I bought it at Easy Street. Um, yeah. Fabulous. Love it. It's the black and white cover. Yeah. Okay. Anything, any other recommendation? Um. Besides your guess... records? Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, just more of my records. No, just um, all you. I guess the last thing I would like to recommend is is the numero numero group number forty, which is mm. the, that's the easiest way to find it. But it's uh, number forty. It's called Good God. Um, okay. Oh, oh God, apocryphal I, hymns. Apocryphal hymns. Good God, apocryphal hymns. I just dropped it while I was holding. Um, good God, apocryphal hymns. Uh -huh. Numeric group number 40. Um, this record now I just put on and just let it go. It's right. just soul hymns. On the inside, it has 50 images that are numbered. And oh, the gatefold the with all the photos. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, they may make sense. There's churches, there's praying hands, mm -hmm. outer space, mm -hmm. beaches, mountains, hands, mosaics, mm -hmm. geometric weirdo things. Um, it probably ties together somehow, but. Well, good. I'm glad you got that. Last one. I forgot about that cool gatefold. I still can't find a photo of it. Maybe you could take a photo. Okay. I'll take a photo and send it. Thank you for coming on to the show, Joe Plummer. Sure. It was a pleasure. Thank you for teaching us all about all that great music and letting us know what you've been up to. Um, take care. Uh, wash your hands. I will. I will. Uh, you know, take care and, um, yeah, I don't, I suddenly forgot how I end a podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I like this podcast oh, a lot. Thanks. I think it's groovy and Thank I you. don't just say groovy all the time. I mean groovy when I say it. Um, nice. and 
We're partners now. We yeah. are partners in media, and it's going to be partners fun. In media. <laughs> Bye. Oh, yeah. Um, go to our store. Go to ru- ruinousmedia.com. Yeah. And I think um, you're going to help us with some designs in mm-hmm. various shapes and forms in the future and in the present. Go check it out. And But, yeah, it's going to be fun. We're going to have Yay. a good time awesome. sharing our love for things with people. That's love all it. we're doing, right? I know. So music, design, um it all goes together, and anyway, happy to be a part of the team. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's going to be rad. Yay. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, and remember, those of you who are kind of locked down with other people, try and hold tight and stay positive. And uh, those of you who have the whole place to yourself, like I say, uh, just remember that you're never really alone. If you have your records and hallucinogens. Thanks, Joe. Oh, yeah. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. She knew me.